Hi, and welcome back to Alpha. It's week six. So far on the Alpha course, we've covered a lot of ground. Who is Jesus? The historical evidence and the unique claims that Jesus made. Why did Jesus die? The problem of sin and God's rescue plan, the cross. How can I be sure of my faith? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And will what we're trusting in be able to hold us, to save us? We've also looked at prayer. How do we have a relationship with God? And the Bible, how does God guide us? This week's talk is around the theme of the problem of evil. We're going to look at a light-hearted clip from Only Fools and Horses. The problem of evil. We're very familiar with the story of good versus evil. Whether it be from comic books, Batman and Robin, Spider-Man, Superman. We're familiar with goodies versus baddies. It's the theme of some of my favourite films and books. J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, which is an epic story of good triumphing over evil, brilliantly depicted in the trilogy of films by Peter Jackson. Well worth a watch if you've got nine hours to spare. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia Chronicles, including the brilliant The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. If you're familiar with the story, Aslan, the Lion, is clearly a representation of Jesus. And he triumphs over the wicked witch, the evil white queen, through his sacrificial death and resurrection. And the final victory is sealed with the last battle. It's a theme that's repeated so many times in our favorite films and books, from James Bond to Star Wars. It's the oldest story of all. It's the story that we find in the Bible. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, good versus evil, God versus the devil. And the question I want to ask is this, if God is behind all the good and goodness in the world, who is behind all the bad stuff, all the evil, all the suffering in the world? Who turns the hearts and minds of mankind to evil? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, the reason that Jesus came, the Son of God, was to destroy all the works of the evil one to save humanity from sin and death and hell's destruction. In the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them to pray, deliver us from the evil one. So who or what might actually not want us to believe in Jesus? Who or what might not want us to find faith, forgiveness, eternal life? Why is it that some of us find it so hard to believe in Jesus, to take that step of faith, make that commitment, 
Sometimes people have told me that it feels like there's a battle going on. And the Bible says there is. There is a battle for every human heart, a battle for our eternal destinies, a battle for our very souls. Think about it for a moment. If what we've been talking about on the Alpha Course is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the Son of God who came to die for us, if he rose from the dead and conquered death, and he, if he offers us salvation as a free gift, something we don't have to earn or perform for but just receive, well, it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? So why can it seem so hard sometimes to believe? What do we need rescuing from that is so deadly and dreadful that Jesus would give his life for us? In the Bible, it says that Jesus paid our ransom. So who is holding us captive? Who wrote the ransom note? Some of these things we'll try and uncover in this talk. So the problem of evil. Evil is a word that we use to describe the absence of good, goodness. As darkness is a word that we use to describe the absence of light. And death is a word we use to describe the absence of life. The Bible says that evil is real and that the devil is the author and instigator of it all. Who is this evil one? Now our understanding of the devil has not been helped by the caricatures that we have had in our minds over the years maybe. A little beast with horns and a tail and a pitchfork sounds more like the Man United mascot than anything else. In the Bible, the evil one is called Satan in the Old Testament, Hebrew word, and the devil in the New Testament, a Greek word. But they are both one and the same being. The Greek word is diabolos. It's where we get the word diabolical from, which tells us something about who he is and what he's like. Some people say that it's actually easier to believe in the devil than in a good God. William Blatty, who wrote and produced uh, the horror film The Exorcist, said that it was easier to believe in the devil because he advertised. If we think of some of the evils the world has seen and continues to see, it has been said that in the last 1,000 years of human history, there have only been 23 years of peace without conflict in the world. And the 20th century was the worst and most bloody of all. And the 21st century hasn't started any better. It shows us that Mankind is not improving, is not getting better. There have been world wars, conflicts, genocides, holocausts, evil regimes, terrorism, slavery, 
abuse, violence and hatred and man's inhumanity to man. Where does it all come from? And often evil is perpetrated by human beings, evil people, tyrants, abusers, traffickers, mass murderers. Who is influencing these things? I shall never forget watching the television news on the 13th of March, 1996. That night, Dunblane Primary School in Scotland was the main news item. A man called Thomas Hamilton had shot 16 children and one teacher dead and injured 15 others before killing himself. It remains the deadliest mass shooting in Britain, in British history. And I remember the news reporter that night standing outside the school gates and he said this, something evil happened here today. Something evil. So who is the devil and what does he want? In the Bible, he is described as God's enemy, not equal to God because he is a created being, but one who has turned against God, who is anti-God and in active rebellion against God. In the book of Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible, he is described as the agent of temptation, the one who turns humanity in Adam and Eve away from trusting God, to doubting God, to disobeying God, to defying God. And that's when that relationship got broken. Adam and Eve's friendship with God was broken. Sin entered the world and it separates us from a holy God. In the book of Job, he is described as an accuser, a deceiver, a tempter. That's what he does. In the book of Isaiah and in other prophets of the Old Testament, he is described as a fallen angel, that he was thrown out of heaven for his rebellion. And he takes a stand against all that is God's and all that is good, and that other angels left with him. And those that followed him are described in the Bible as demons. In the New Testament, however, a clearer picture of the devil emerges. He is described as a personal spiritual being in active rebellion against God, against good, against God's people. When Jesus was born, there was an attempt on his life by evil King Herod. Herod ordered the massacre of the newborn baby boys in Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary were warned by an angel to leave and they escaped to Egypt. And when Jesus began his public ministry around the age of 30, it begins with a temptation by the devil in the wilderness. He is confronted, tested by the devil. The temptation is attractive as temptation always is attractive. 
for Jesus to take an easy route out. The devil knows that Jesus is the king of heaven, but he's now here on earth as a vulnerable human being. And so the devil seeks to take him on. And that audacious plan of the devil to divert Jesus from his mission is countered by Jesus in his humanity as he just uses the Bible to counter the devil's plans. In fact, Jesus himself speaks of the devil. He calls him the father of lies and the author of sin. Elsewhere, he calls him a thief, a destroyer. And when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, it says in the Bible that Satan entered Judas. And after his arrest on false charges and Jesus is condemned by an illegal court, he's flogged and tortured and crucified. I'm sure the devil thinks that he is one. God is crucified, dead and buried. But Jesus triumphs over evil through his sacrificial death. Sin and death are conquered. Jesus rose from the dead. Death cannot hold him because he is sinless, perfect, and he offers his perfect life as a sacrifice for sin. That's the ransom price, his life. That's what it costs to set us free. The devil self-styles himself as the prince of this world. He thinks he owns us because of our sin. But Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, defeats him through his death and resurrection. And the devil may promise many things, but the only thing he ever delivers is hell. He knows that that is his eternal destiny and he would want to take others with him. But God, has come to rescue us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. On the cross, Jesus is victorious, but it's not all over yet. I sometimes think of it like D-Day and V-E Day. D-Day happened on the 6th of June, 1944. The victory was won, but not finally. VE Day happens on the 8th of May, 1945. And in some ways between the cross and when Jesus returns is that in-between time. Both Peter and Paul and other New Testament writers speak about a spiritual battle that we are still in. The devil is defeated, but he's still at large. And the devil seeks to blind people to the truth and bring destruction and dismay to the world, and especially opposing the mission of the church. In Ephesians, a letter that Paul writes to the believers there, he calls on the believers to take their stand against the devil's schemes. So what might be the devil's schemes, his tactics? Well, firstly, 
violence, persecution. Secondly, deception, lies and temptation. And thirdly, division. Persecution, violence and hatred, the devil delights in, in any form. The violence done to Jesus is replicated in the violence done to his church from the very first century to the 21st. In fact, there are more Christians who are persecuted today than ever before. And although much of the church in the world faces physical persecution, perhaps we do not. But that doesn't mean that we're not in that spiritual battle. It doesn't mean that there is a spiritual struggle that we're involved in. We face the tactics of deception, temptation, division. One of the devil's biggest lies, deceptions, is that there is no God. No God who knows us personally and loves us and has come to rescue us. Think of how many people have believed that lie. I believed it for many years. We live in a very secular age. G.K. Chesterton, great writer, said this. When people cease to believe in God, it's not that they believe in nothing. It's that they believe in anything. Yes, there's an increase in secularism. We don't do God. Yet strangely, at the same time, there's been an increase in counterfeit spirituality, an increase in the occult, an increase in the belief in superstition or fate or karma. What goes around comes around. And it seems quite trivial at times, but there is something underneath it. For example, I was chatting to a man once, out in the open air, and something he said caused him to say, touch wood. And you know, he, could, he looked around, he couldn't find any wood. He actually walked away from me, from the conversation, to touch a tree. And when he came back, I kind of looked open-mouthed. And, and he said, well, I just had to do it. What was he trusting in? You may sound that, think that sounds trivial, but underneath it all, there is something about what we're believing. Horoscopes, for example, appear in nearly every magazine and newspaper. And again, they can seem trivial, but there's nothing trivial about trivializing human destiny, about our lives. The basic premise behind horoscopes is that somehow our lives are influenced by spiritual forces through the arrangement of the stars, but not trusting in the God who put the stars into space, who created it all. Imagine the outcry if every newspaper and magazine, instead of a horoscope, would have verses from Jesus, words from Jesus. Personal experience has convinced me of the reality of this counterfeit spirituality. Spiritual forces of evil that are out to disrupt, deceive, and divide. I remember once being called to a house. 
the new occupiers felt that there was something wrong in the house, spiritually, something disturbing in one particular room. However high they set the thermostat and turned the radiator up in the room, it always seemed cold. They were Christians and they asked me to come and pray in their new home, especially in that room, something I was very happy to do. I went in and yeah, I could feel it. Having prayed in the room and then left, soon afterwards the owners got back in touch and said that the room felt completely different. It had lost its cold feeling. It was only later that we discovered that previous occupiers of that house had used that room for seances, forbidden in the Bible. Here's another story. My wife and I had the joy of leading a young lady to faith in Jesus. She became a Christian, but soon afterwards she visited her auntie who was involved in the occult. And while she was at her auntie's, they, they played with a Ouija board. And that night, as they played on the Ouija board, they contacted a spirit. And sure enough, the glass moved and it spelt out a message, letter by letter. And the message was this, beware of, and named me, and named my wife and spelt our names correctly, and my wife has an unusual name. The young lady was really scared because she hadn't told any of them about her faith in Jesus and our involvement in that. And I remember her coming back to us to visit us so that we might pray with her. She was so scared, but once we'd prayed for her, she had a peace of God in her life. These things are real spiritual forces. I remember meeting a lady who couldn't go into her flat. She said she had this fear of fire, that if she was in her flat, there would be a fire and it would burn down. And it was illogical, unreasonable. And the more we talked it through, it came from an encounter with a medium. She'd gone to see a medium, and actually it was the medium who'd said, you have a fear of fire. It was almost like a curse had been put over her life. And whenever we prayed in the name of Jesus, that fear would go. I remember telling her that she needed to trust in Jesus herself, but she found it so hard, there was a struggle. Another lady, suffered physical abuse at the hands of a very violent husband. On one occasion, she went to see a medium. The medium warned her that she was in immediate danger and that she should change the locks on her front door and bolt it. She did so. That night, her husband, unusually, came home through the back door, drunk, and attacked her as she tried to get out of the front door, but because the locks were changed and she had bolted it, she found herself in difficulty. She survived. These things are real, spiritual forces of evil. 
Who is behind it all? I have many stories of those things. They are real, not just a bit of harmless fun. And they are actually forbidden in the Bible. Not because God is a killjoy, because, but because he knows they have the potential to harm us. And underlying all of these things is that deception that Jesus is not who he says he is. That he is the saviour of the world. It's important to ask questions about things that we might get involved in of who's behind them. Underlying these counterfeits is the message, there is no God. But that is a lie. I'm often asked by people, particularly new Christians who come to faith, is such and such activity okay? And I say to them, there's a simple test about anything that we might be involved in. Does it give glory to God? Does it honour God? Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Does it bring us closer to our Heavenly Father? Does it bring us closer to Jesus our Saviour or drive us further away? If it does drive us further away, then we need to let it go. This devil seeks to take advantage of God's gift of free will, to divert us away from the truth, to divide us so that we are not as effective as those who follow Jesus. That's why he loves to divide churches, communities, families, marriages, friendships. In free will, mankind has the choice to follow God or to go away from God, to disobey God, to go our own way. We see that right from the beginning with the story of Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that each one of us have gone our own way and that's why we need a savior. It's why Jesus came. But remember, the devil is no match for Jesus. Jesus has won the victory on the cross and he promises that he will return one day and evil will be done away with once and for all. So rather than focus on the devil, we can thank God that one day there will be no more evil, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. And then in God's new creation, we will be like him and we'll see him as he is. There is a wonderful passage in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in a vision, the Apostle John sees a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And he sees a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then he hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and he will be their God and they will be his people. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So rather than dwell on the devil, our focus is on Jesus, who loved us, who died for us, who rose from the dead and will one day return gloriously to make all things new. And the more that we live in the light of his love and grace, the more we'll be able to deal with the darkness whenever we encounter it. I want to end this talk with a prayer. A prayer that we can pray to ask God to forgive us for anything in our lives that we know has not been of God. If there's anything that we have felt that has resonated with us in this talk that we may have been involved in in our lives, we can say sorry to God and ask God to just clean us, cleanse us, forgive us. If you think there is anything that has been holding you back from taking a step of faith, why not ask God to help you to make that step? In Jesus, we are loved. We are accepted and he can set us free. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for your love for each one of us. In your powerful name, we break any fear or any hold that the enemy has ever had over our lives. And we ask you, Jesus, to fill us with your Holy Spirit and set us free. We renounce all evil and trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and thank you for listening. See you next week.